appreciate him. Do you appreciate him this morning? I kind of quoted that to you Wednesday night that, you know, about the Welsh revival, that the, 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 the slightest little thing that God did, the least little thing that God did for them would set their hearts on fire. I pray you feel that way this morning. I'm going to take some time and read some words to you that can't fail, that can't pass away, and if you'll hold still and let it, it'll change your body. If you'll hold still and let it, it'll change your body. These are the words of life. If you turn with me to Matthew, <coughs> where are we at? Matthew chapter 23. 
I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 22. Two chapters on one page. Let's start with verse 24. Chapter 23, 22, chapter 22, verses 24. I love, there's about four chapters. I think it's 22, 23, 24, and 25 that's, that's linked together. And there's so much, so much in those four chapters alone that he packs in and says. And I feel like that if I'd have been sitting there on the side of the hill or walking by the side, my mind would have been just, you, you, would have just, you would have just passed out from everything that he said. If you were trying to write, you'd be writing, you'd be hearing it and writing at the same time. And you're like, I cannot believe what I'm even writing. Can this be true? Chapter 22, verse 24, they come to him. And you understand, they, they kept trying to trap him in his words. They kept constantly trying to trick him up and, and trip him up and get him to say something that would get him to incriminate himself and, and all of these things. And, 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 and I'll share this with you. In the show, The Chosen, and I've told you how much it's been a blessing to me. I believe God put that together. I believe God allowed that come to pass. It will bless your heart. I'm not trying to promote anything. It's not Hollywood. I'm not trying to you know, promote anything like that. But it, it is the best a uh, uh, visual example of anything I've ever seen. And it comes to a part where in the show that they have, there's a, there's a guy that he's a, um, I don't know if they call him a praetor or something like that. He's, he's high up in the, the Roman uh, army that where if he was to say it, he'd kill, take your life. He had that kind of ability, he'd take your life and, and be something like that. So at some point in the show, they come to take the Lord Jesus. This is before Gethsemane. They come to him and take him. And, and this is just drama for the show. But what really struck me how they would, uh, they would portray something like this. If you would be picked up by Roman centurion band, and you know that they have the ability to kill you, not just the ability, but the power to get away with it, to take your life, if you said one thing wrong, took your life and you said one thing wrong, would you be scared? Would you, I'd be scared. I'm watching the show and I'm getting scared for him. Not one bit of fear. Walks right in there. You don't have to bind me. I'll go. Walks right in there and stood there. And, and can, even the man in the show was like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I can? And it never was flipped around, sir, you don't know who I am. You don't know who I am. And I say that, and then let's jump over to the Garden of Gethsemane. That when they come to take him, and he done told them for days and days and days, they're going to do this. They're going to take me. They're going to capture me. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. He's been telling them this, and they've hopefully spent enough time with him and seen things that they believe what he's saying, that at one point the scripture even says they were very sorry, that they sorrowed about what he's telling them. So then that it comes to pass, it's happened, the centurion guards come to the garden, and they come to take him, and Peter draws his sword and tries to take the man's head off, misses, and only gets his ear. The Lord Jesus simply reaches down and picks it up and puts it back on. And he said, do you not know? That if I were to call legions of angels, they'd be here just like that. You believe me this morning? You know what he says about you? He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? We quoted to you a lot lately where Jesus said, he said, if I be in you, if my word abides in you, then you link that with greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world who can be against you. Keep all that in your mind this morning as we read these, these few verses. Verse 24, they've again, they've come to try to trap him up. They didn't even believe in a resurrection. <clears throat> and they're bringing their, their, their trick to him. They're trying to trip him up. Saying, Master, 
Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren. What a kind of a, what a, what a, a question to propose. It's like the most randomest thing you ever heard of. So you're telling me seriously, one man married a woman, he died, and his brother, then his brother, and then all we, really? Uh, we got it worked out. We got him right here. We, there's no way he can answer this. There's no way he can answer this. Then he said, now there were with us seven brethren. And the first, when he married a wife, deceased, having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the, here's a question, in the resurrection, whose wife shall be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, ye do err, ye do err not knowing the scripture, nor the power of God. There's, this, there, there's the, the sentence that I want you to get on this morning, nor the power of God. Now, you, you understand as he makes this more clear as he walks through these verses, what he means about you don't know the scripture, but what does he mean about you don't know the power of God? Think about that. You do err, not knowing the scripture, comma, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, and this is the only one who can talk about this, this is the only one can, that can say that as though he has authority in this area, the one that is the resurrection of the life, but is touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham? and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. You can be seated this morning. How would you have felt sitting there hearing that? Would you have been astonished at someone making such a claim? Because like I said, there have been many prophets of old, many sages, many scribes, many Pharisees, all these different people that, and you know, to speak, to, to stand before someone to minister is different than giving a speech. You understand, for me to stand here and minister, it's different than me taking, you know, an hour, hour and a half, two hours every time, whatever it is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to structure this as a, as a good oration and a speech, and I'm going to speak to, we're all here today to talk about in this symposium of, of whatever intellectual relegated idea that we're going to cover this, or we're going to cover this, and we're going to cover this, and that is a separate thing to be a, of a speaker. And you would say that perhaps I had a doctorate or much experience in this area. You follow me this morning? And you would say, okay, that man has a certain amount of experience in this area, and I will come to hear of that experience and take that. Preaching is a totally different thing. Totally different thing. I'm not here to give you an oration. I'm not here to give you flowery words of man's wisdom. These words that are to come out of my mouth is meant to be the Holy Ghost to you. Moving to you. Speaking to you. So I ask you that question. Do you know the power of God this morning? Do you know the resurrection and the life? Now, it's interesting when, when you, with a heart full of faith, can hear what a heart full of faith can say, that my life would be surrendered. And it's so strange that man has always tripped up in this area. Man has always tripped up in this area. How that God, the creator of heavens and earth, who speaks in such a way, could step down into a human form and use contractions, use broken English, maybe even stutter a little bit. That can't be God. But he does. But he does. 
You believe that this morning? So when you understand how God would speak, you understand how perhaps you should hear. It's not to be, because you understand the fight this morning. You, you we're all gathered here today. We've had different things trying to keep us out of this room today. And now that's just to get to the doors. All your fight this morning was just to get you to the doors, not even to get inside. And now you're seated inside. Maybe it's too hot. Maybe it's too cold. Maybe you've worked late. Maybe you've been a long week. Maybe you overslept. Maybe you didn't get much sleep. Maybe now you have to fight being sleepy. Maybe now you've got a lot on your mind, and Satan will take anything he can to distract you from what you might hear. But if I can get to convince you this morning that these are not my words, that they're his words, and we've done told you that these same words of God created the very rock you're sitting on, these same words of God created the very body you're living in, what would he say to you this morning? Because he's not a God of the dead, he's a God of the living. He's not a God of the dead, he's a God of the living. Now these words were recorded 2,000 years ago. Now, we've shared that with you that many would think that surely by now they would have worn out. Surely by now the power of God would have been exhausted. If you think perhaps, let's see, there's 7 billion plus on the planet right now, and they think there's roughly been 35 to 40 billion since Adam in a total amount of people. Let's just say that there's been 10 billion, just for a low number, in 2,000 years from when he said these words till now. When God made these promises to you and allowed them to be written down in the last 2,000 years, that 10 billion believers have believed it and have drained those resources dry to where that you now, when you walk into your test, your trial, your moment, that there's nothing left for you. But you thought that before. The liar has convinced you of that before. If it's not in such a way that God don't do that no more, or God won't do that for you, either way, he's got you believing that. But we, we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time on the commandments of man, the traditions of man, the teaching of man, where a man's idea took this and watered it down until it meant nothing. Now, when these words are spoken, if you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost, if you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost this morning and you are surrendering your life to it, you're not in here in a daydream. You're not sitting here, uh, you know, oh, I'm just going to take me a good nap this morning or I'm going to think about my grocery list or my jobs this week. I've got a lot of things to try to keep money coming in. i got bills that are due. You're not thinking about that. All of those things will take care of themselves. You're not thinking about the tests or trials you're in. You might not even have to think about how your body feels right now. You think about whatever test you're going through and whatever your body does feel right now. No matter what it might be, maybe you've got something you're trying, you're going through. Maybe not that you're trying to, but that you're having to go through. Whether it be pain, whether it be heartache, whether it be stress, you can got a scripture for that. Scripture says all things are for your sake. All things are for your sake. So we've all got our our, our pressure, our things that we that we're fighting against, that we're pressing through to press toward that mark. All things are for your sake. So not one of us have an itch, a situation this morning, not one of us have an issue that we're going through or they're in the middle of right now that looks like a fiery furnace of fire that's been heated seven times hotter. Not one person this morning. Maybe I'm wrong. Did anybody got an appointment later today with a fiery furnace of fire where you won't even, where the guards will die Throwing you in, not one of you, and your, your troubles aren't that bad, really? Your troubles are not that bad. He was there for them. It was for their sake. 
That was put there to tell you even in the furnace of fire, he'll meet you there. He said, I'll meet you there. So in my own feeble weakness of what I am, I, I'm just Sam Parker. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good preacher. I'm not a good anything. For you together here this morning, it's not even to hear me. It's not even to try to put up with my, my mispronunciation, my, my you know, wandering thought, any of those things. You come here this morning believing that God would meet you here. Otherwise, why would you make the drive? Why did you get up early? Why did you get dressed? Why did you lay everything else aside? Why did you fight through all those miles of demons to get here? See, David had one day he wanted to drink water. He wanted to drink water from that well. And his mighty men cut through 40 miles, cut their way through 40 miles, got the drink, and cut their way back through to get it to him. That's a natural type. We no longer wrestle with flesh and blood. You didn't have to work your way through the British, through the, the, any other, you know, the wars of people that America's fought in the last you know, 300 years. You didn't have to do that to get here. You didn't have to fight your way through Indians this morning. There's a quote Brother Branham talked about that they'd have to bundle themselves up in the wintertime in a wagon and wrap themselves up with blankets and fight through Indians just to get to church. Just to get to go to church. Kind of puts things in perspective. Now, every time that the devil's tried to keep me out of church, I try to keep that scripture in my mind. And it's not to make me something better than anyone else. I tell you many times, I'm the worst one here. I'm the weakest Christian here. But I, this is my heart's design. This is what God's doing to me. And God must be doing the same thing to you if you're sitting here this morning. I can't be alone in this. Otherwise, I would be alone in this room. But he speaks to you. He's resurrecting your body right now. See, the Word of God, I've said it many times, it sets the captives free. Each one of us, each and every person in this room right now that I could touch with my hands, that means you're in a temporary body, you're all tethered to this world. You're tethered. You're chained to this world temporarily. Do you understand that? We sang that song earlier, the third verse. That was a song written by Brother Mark Aho in the message, Wings of Faith, Winds of Faith. <coughs> you think about that third verse. And you, you, how it would be structured. Uh, you have your second verse. It's asking you very personally, what is your need? What is your cry? And every time you come to God, it must be, Lord, I, I've come to present my need. I'm not just, you know, I'm not just well, I want to help that country there or, or that random group of people over there. Or, that's asking amiss. You want to come very specifically, Lord, I have this need. Or I'm lifting up my sister, she has this need. Or I'm lifting my brother, he has it. You understand, being very specific. And you bring that to him. And you lay before, this is my need. This is, I've, I've had compassion on my brother and sister, and I'm praying for them. This is why I'm praying very specifically. That's your second verse. Watch your need, watch your cry, watch your mountain this morning. The invisible God, the power of God. What's your mountain this morning? And then, seemingly random as can be, the third verse says, watch the eagle. It's in the sky. He doesn't struggle. He doesn't strive for the power that makes him rise. It's already there. It's already there. We, we kind of touched on this Wednesday night and last Sunday, and I've had the hardest time trying to convey what's on my heart uh, about this thought that this invisible power that's there that with your eyes you couldn't see it 
but you can accept it. You can receive it. You can put it to work in your life. And I'll go ahead and fast forward a little bit. On the day of the change, you'll be fully enveloped in it. On the day of the change, something's going to happen to your body that everybody else would say it can't be done. It can't be done. We shared that with you about Peter. Literally walking on waves of water. Anyone else could have drove by. That's impossible. It cannot be done. That's just science fiction. It's far-fetched. You're so lost in your imagination. That can't be done. Peter could have said, I'm doing it. But I'm doing it. But it can't be done. But I'm doing it. Somehow. And we shared that thought with you about, you know, if, if this room was invisible, and we're trying to let your mind latch on to that thing of faith and what faith is. Faith is real. Faith has muscles, the prophet taught us. Faith is the boss, the prophet taught us. When faith steps up to speak, everything else shuts up. That's because it takes possession. Faith takes possession. That's mine. You understand this morning? It says that to those that will push the fight to the enemy's gates. You're not going to hide in your closet. Oh, God, don't let some demon come my way. God, don't let him turn the demon hellhounds loose on me. No, where are they at? Where are they at? I'm born to conquer. I'm created to conquer. I'm designed to take every one of their heads off. But you can't see them. No, but I can feel them. I can feel them. And he leads me. He leads me. And if he's for me, there ain't enough of them to be against me. It just simply ain't enough. So as you're being lifted into this realm, till, and just for uh, kind of let your mind be linked with the scripture, I've quoted to you a lot in Revelation chapter 4. You've come through 2 and 3, which was the seven church ages, which was the building block foundational principle to get you where you're at right now. Those seven church ages, those seven pyramids, that seven blocks, levels on that pyramid that brings you up to where you are right now, you're not even any more flush with the earth. You're standing on a pyramid. You understand? We don't have that picture. We don't have the picture. We'll get it when we get to church. But um, we've had been, they, there's somebody that made years ago, they made a little, I think it's four foot by four foot cedar um, and then they make a pyramid, and it's, it's where Peter talks about the, you know, the foundation of faith and keep working up through virtue and loving kindness and brother, brotherly, uh, brotherly kindness. And fellow, you understand, all the way building up to faith, it is built as a pyramid. These are walking up those seven steps to perfection. When you get on that, you realize to where you're standing at right to now, you're much higher than what Paul was at the foundation level. You better be. You better be, or you're going to be saying like he did, I see him through a glass darkly. Do you see the Lord Jesus this morning through a glass darkly? So that means the veil is upon your eyes this morning. The veil is upon your eyes this morning. Then there's no need that for me to tell you the seals are open because you won't believe it. There's no need for me to tell you that the line of the tribe of Judah is here because you won't believe it. There's no need for me to tell you the half-hour science is over because you won't believe it. You're still down there. But what if you came higher? What if, if you came up higher? Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3, from the Ephesus church age all the way to the Laodicean church age. Now understand that there won't be another prophet after that seventh angel messenger. I understand that. But the Ram said, he said, I have turned you from me to him. I had to be as an Eliezer. He said, I had to draw back so that he can come forward. You, you might remember these scriptures, uh, these quotes. He said, I must decrease so that he might increase. What happens if he increases? 
that the Lord Jesus increases, draws up high. So, seven church age, Laodicean church age, Revelation 3 ends, Revelation 4 begins. John says, and now I saw another voice. It, no, I'm sorry. He said, behold, I saw a door in heaven opened. I saw a door in heaven opened. What did the voice tell him? Come up higher even yet. Above the pyramid. Come up higher. Above the pyramid. So if you were to go to heaven this morning, and if you think about how the scriptures word in a lot of places, if you were to go to heaven, and you'll probably jump to the, 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 the vision beyond the curtain of time, would you be able to see Jesus? They would tell you, no, he's in a higher place. The scripture says he's in the heaven of heavens. So then that tells you that there's differing parts of heaven as far as heaven of heavens, that he will come. There you go. There's the pyramid. Thank you for that. Seven steps. Keep walking upward. You realize that it comes down to a point. We've quoted to you a lot about that chief cornerstone. If you were to try to put that cornerstone, that pyramid at the very top, somewhere down the side, it wouldn't have fit because he is the head of his body. He is the head. He's not the foot. He's not the toe. He's not the calf. He's the head of his body. That means he's in control. That means you're not. You see how valuable headship is? You see how valuable headship is this morning? You think about even in this little assembly, to the headship of the pastor, and what it would mean for me to be the pastor, to be the head of this church. Now, this is just the, the temporary, the, you know, as far as the fleshly, of, or, of what the, the, uh, the access has been granted, not to be your Lord, but to be your example. But what if you didn't look to me as a pastor? What if you took headship yourself and said that I will do this, or say it like this, I'll eat my own bread. I'll eat my own bread, wear my own clothes, think my own things. It, then you don't believe that I'm called to be the pastor of this church. Now, I work for him. And if you didn't think and was completely certain that I work for him, that I am speaking his words again, you would not be here this morning. You would not have wasted your time to come here. But there's still a, a amount of headship that must fall into even in this bodily assembly. Now, what that means for you is that you have someone that is How's that worded? That, it, it, that's for you. That's for your good. I am for you. You understand that this morning? I am for you. I've told you many times how much I love you, how much I pray for you, that I, if I'm willing to die for you, that I'm sure enough willing to live for you. See, it's easy to die for you. If someone was to walk in right now with a gun, I was to jump in front of them and take a bullet that was meant for you. That was easy. I'm gone. I'm on to my reward. I'm on to my reward. And you might be able to escape this time this time but you understand there's a persecution coming that they're going to try satan's always out to not just steal or kill but to completely destroy so satan the one that would try to come in with a gun is always out for your life god has placed me here that would be built in a certain way that would not just give my die for you but that i would live for you that i would get up each day and pray for you that I would spend time talking to the lord for you that i would call your name out in prayer and even speak in life over you What's that worth to you? What's that worth to you? See, God has a, a headship even of this realm. And if everything is fitly joined together, and again, you know me. I'm not your boss. I'm not your boss. If you have a question, if you need an answer, I will pray with you. I'll do anything I can to help you. You know that. But I'm not meant to be your Lord. I'm meant to be your example. And I pray that you're starting to follow the example. And if there's something that you feel like I'm not doing right in my life, come to me and we'll talk about it. We'll pray about it together. I'm not up here saying I'm right, you're wrong. Do you believe me? 
I'm not trying to tell you I'm right and you're wrong. I'm praying for you. If there's something that I've seen wrong in the Scripture, show me in the Scripture. We'll talk about it. We'll pray about it. We'll find an answer. I'm not here saying that I'm the only one going in the rapture. I'm not here the one saying I'm the only one that's bride. You're never going to hear me say that. I am simply a sinner saved by grace. A sinner saved by grace. But there's a headship that falls under him. When that body is fitly placed, fitly joined together. So you think about your own Christian walk. And we've shared that with you about how to get a prayer answered. How to get a prayer. Who here wants to get a prayer answered? Nope, anybody? Okay, you want to know. So if you knew, which there is, that there were things God required in your life to be in order for you to be able to get an answered prayer, what would you do about it? Would you say, I ain't doing that. No, thank you. You require what? No, thanks, not me. Get somebody else. Not if you really want the prayer answered. You say, Lord, you require that. Okay, I see you require that. I see you require that. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help down my unbelief. Help me line up to that. You must line up even in your own walk with him. You must line up in what it requires if you want to get your prayer answered. Am I right or wrong? There are things in a Christian's walk, you know, just for a simple something we was talking about. I heard a brother say recently about being a pastor. And, and, and I thought it was I thought it was interesting how that most people in their in, in their own uh, makeup and in their own mind as far as how they, they, they think about things and how that they work headship. Uh, as far as because, again, I, I'm just the one you see on this earth, and we, of course, serve him. But you think about, he was telling about a brother that um, <coughs> had been supposedly voted in to be a pastor of a church. And somewhere in the U.S., this guy's not in the U.S., but he was talking about, well, he is in the U.S., he's just in an extended part of the U.S., but, but he was talking about how this brother had been voted in to be the pastor of this particular church. And they told him, we voted you in as pastor, now we're going to put you on a six-month interim or a six-month or a year, and we're going to put you as a probation, six-month or one-year probation to be the pastor. But I thought you voted me in to be the pastor. I thought you voted me in. It's gotten to be where, and not just in message service, but in other places, they try to run it as a business. They run it as a board of executives. We have to run it as a chairman, all those things. That's not meant to be that way. God has an order to be run. It's to be run through the Holy Ghost, and then God disperses it through the office of the church. Do you believe that tonight? Do you really believe that? Now, in all, just not just be talking about me, but we have voted in two deacons. Now, in those two deacons, they're meant to be, and their qualifications has got to be right beside mine. If you look at the qualifications of a deacon, must be the husband of one wife, must have their house in subjection, all of these things, even after teach. You understand the scripture? Everybody understand the scripture? That they must be just as such of, of, a, of, a, of a testimony of even in their lives held to an example, held to a higher standard. The prophet said they're to be the policemen of the church. Now, it, in a normal body of a church that you wouldn't normally let someone vote on matters of the church unless they were the, 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 your Baptist, your Methodist, or they would consider uh, uh, something of uh, a member in good standing. You understand? A member in good standing. That you must be not just a frequent member, you must be a current on tithes and offerings, and that's how you must be able to vote on the church. They would consider you a member in good standing. And most people have an age limit on how old you must be, 18, 21, before you can vote on an office or a situation of a church. Maybe I'm the only one ever heard of this, but that's, that's pretty common as far as what I've told. When we voted on deacons in this church, it was on my heart to let every single person vote. Every single person. Emma Kate. Lily, Ella, if she had to raise her hand, any one of them. And the reason I did this for deacons for this purpose was you're never going to come back to me with a complaint and say, your deacon said this to me. 
your deacon did this because you voted for them, making them your deacons. Now, I did it that way. I feel like the Lord led me in that way to make it because I've seen so many times. My dad was a deacon forever, and I've been on a bunch of the deacons forever, and there's always conflict against authority. This is where you find a human struggle. It's falling into line with a headship, with a leader. They say, and you find it with even deacons as long. If a deacon, if we got to a place, so when we get to another church and, and if we start growing, that there'll come a time where that they'll have to be seating you as you come in the door. They'll have to have you keep coming forward and just keep stacking them in to get that many people. Otherwise, if you spread out, there's no way you get 60, 70 people in a member church that should, with pews, tightly get 125. It's easy. Well, I have this space. I have this. So if that deacon tells you, tighten it up, slide over, and you say, who do you think you are? You must be able to step back and say, that's what you say. That's what we do. This is a natural, temporary thing that God puts in your life to see where your spirit is. Think about that, to see where your spirit is. So if a deacon, I'm talking about deacons now, I'm not talking about me. If a deacon comes to you this morning after church and says, such and such, such and such, how will you respond? Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? And you see the issue in the character. You see the issue in the spirit. You see that little hiccup that needs to be sanded off. See, sheep, which we're likened to sheep, that's where so many people now that you have in our government today, in our country today, that they say that we're not the sheep. We won't follow what you say. Now, that man that's been voted in, whatever, however, you know, is thought about that or even what is true, they'll take that and say we're not just going to blindly follow because they say we're not sheep. You've heard this. I'm not the only person you've heard this. They'll say we're not blindly follow. When you're talking about following Christ, you cannot have that. You cannot have that attitude. You agree? You cannot have that attitude because he bought you. I want to say me. He bought you with his own blood. That means he owns you. That makes you his property. You understand? That makes you his property. You understand that even in the scripture, the scripture doesn't just cover between a husband and a wife. That, 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 that part of that order of God, that order of Christ as far as when you can find an attribute of Christ in a Holy Ghost-filled husband and a Holy Ghost-filled wife, you can find an attribute in a picture of Christ. Do you believe that? Just as Christ loved the church. What a woman should do, what a man should do, just as Christ loved the church. You know, the Bible also gives you enslaves and masters. This is where many people say, well, I ain't a slave. To him, you're a love slave. You're meant to be his prisoner. And it's not to be that, oh, my goodness, he's going to keep me under his thumb. That's where you're taking it, the, the far-off perverted look of what it was to be a slave. This is someone that's been bought with a price. You understand that you've got you to be able to separate the two, distinct, the, the two distinctions. This isn't to where that I'm kept in chains, I'm beaten daily. He's not that kind of a master. He's not that kind of a master. He loves you. He gave his life for you. You're meant to be constrained to the love and life of Christ. And we're talking about attributes. We're talking about parts of his character to be constrained to his will. And then if you can't line yourself up to that same thing, then there's something wrong in your makeup. There's something wrong in your spirit. Something is not just fighting against the local body. You're fighting against the headship of the Holy Ghost. Who does he think he is? Just the one that saved you? Just the one that bought you? Just the one that created you? You understand your attributes, your character, your personality, the things that fight against him. You, you with me this morning? 
we're talking about who is God. And you've also got to be able to find that same grain, that same person, that same character, that same attribute in your own walk with the Lord. I shared that with you Wednesday night about however each one of you think of me, I guarantee you, you think of him the same way. The things that you'd say about me, you think of him the same way. That seems far-fetched, but it's true. I, again, you know me. I'm nothing. I'm, not, I'm nothing. But I'm his, and I'm meant to be the pastor of this church. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about you. How a husband would think about his wife and treat his wife. You find in the scripture how it's, you're warned against idolatry. You're warned against whoring and following after idolatry as a, as a servant of God as far as following that. The same thing in a husband to his wife. Will you go a whoring? Will you go into adultery? Will you look at these other things and pull yourself away from your, your wife, which was meant to be cleaved to? You understand what I'm saying this morning? And this is where Satan attacks you nonstop. He'll attack a man. He'll attack a woman. Anything he can to pull a body. Well, that's just, a, it's just nothing. That means nothing. It means everything. It means everything. How a husband thinks of his wife, how a wife thinks of her husband, it means everything. And then you find the hiccup. You, you know, Satan's out to a man to, if he can't get him to cheat on her, if he can't get him to beat her, and to cheat on her, and all these things, he'll put, uh, you'll help, you'll put videos, you'll put all this pornography, all these before his eyes, to where that now it's worse. He's committing adultery in his heart against her instead of just in his flesh. It's worse. The, well, it's no, it's just, it's no big deal. He can look at that, he can do those things. No, it's worse. It would be better if he had a physical relationship with another woman than to do it in his heart. You hear me this morning? Satan has so tricked people to where, no, that's okay. I'm okay as long as we get to stay together. We get to be married. That's fine. He has his thing. I have my things. Women, you know, growing up in the message, you always have these other, other sisters that love your romance novels. Now, I love a good romance, personally. I've always, I'm a sucker for romantic comedies. That's what I love. But, but some of those things go real bad real fast. And you might as well be reading a dirty book real fast. And it will take a woman that Satan will put a block between a woman to her husband. I've not talked about a man and his wife, but now even for a woman and to her husband to where that she can't have that nearness. Well, he's not as handsome. He's not as romantic. He's not, he doesn't care for me like this guy in this book cares for this person over here or your Hallmark channels or anything else. He's went from book to Hallmark channels now. Or, you know, all your own. So, and it does that to then start to tear them apart. But if you were to think that way about God, your life would get mixed up real fast. You're out of order. You're not fitting together. You're meant to be fitly joined together. That's how things work. So if you're in the right relationship with Christ, you will be in the right relationship with each other. You believe that? Because John makes this statement. How can you say you love God and hate your brother? He's taking the furthest, the furthest reaches of the spectrum. Of the spectrum, you have love, and then you have hate. See, hate's not eternal. Love is eternal. God is love. You have agape love. It's always been because He is love. Hate had a beginning. Hate has an end. How can you love God but hate your brother? The Bible says you are a liar, and the truth's not in you. See, we're not just talking about the Elohim that spoke the worlds in existence. We're talking about the Elohim and your brother and your sister. 
gets things real up close to your face. And, and I like that. I like it to, to bring it real to you because it's so easy in any one of your minds. I've shared a lot about how my imagination is. I can read the Bible, and as I'm reading it, I can see it coming to life. I can see it happening in my mind. My mind portrays things that way. So when I'm reading a book, I'm, I can, it's, it's more fun sometimes to me to read a book than it actually is to watch a movie because of what my imagination does. So when, I, when I'm reading this, and it's coming to life then, see, it's easy to say that was 2,000 years ago. That's far enough away that I can see God would do that. I can see a God like that. But it's never meant to be ended 2,000 years ago. The very self-same one is sitting beside you right now. The self-same one. For example, you both have the Holy Ghost. He's sitting right beside you. You have the Holy Ghost. He's sitting right beside you. So when you turn and you talk to your wife or your husband and you talk to your daughters and your sons, you talk to your neighbors, you're not just saying, well, watch yourself. No, you're speaking. Who are you speaking to? But it, no, it's not like that. It's not, it's not like that. God's not like that. He actually very much is like that. He very much is like that. The power of God. He says, you don't know the scripture nor the power of God. We've, it's been on my heart in this to try to, to get it. And I, we've said that the very first day, that if we had a way to take um, every person in this room or just pick one person and be able to go back through your memory, through your subconscious, through everything about you, and be able to put on this screen right here everything that your mind has ever thought or imagined or wondered about God and list it out on the screen, and you could step back and look at it because that's in your makeup. That's in your subconscious, and I guarantee you that's standing between you and God. The picture that your subconscious has painted is not the same as who he is. Now, even to, we share that with you about the coming of the Lord, that Brother Branham had said back in the 60s, before the seals were opened, before the actual coming of the Lord, that he said, when he comes, it'll be different than anything you ever thought. Different than anything you ever thought. We had a, a, a good friend of ours. Where are we at? She lives right over here. I'm trying to think where I'm at. Uh, she's a real good friend of ours. She's a Mennonite. In Hall said you got two different Mennonite churches. You have one that's very strict Mennonite, then you have one that's not so strict Mennonite. So, you know, and I guess it's only by seeing them go to church you see the difference. But she's been a good friend to us over the years. She stopped by last Sunday night. We were talking about different things, and she was telling us how that she believes that from the different things she has some conspiracy ideas. Maybe you would say that. But she was telling about how that um, she believes that according to Jewish tradition, Hebrew tradition, that we're currently um, in the Feast of the Trumpets next year. That next year is the Feast of the Trumpets. Is what she wants to make sure I get it all right. I, again, I don't know. I don't follow any of that stuff, so I don't know. But I'm just telling you what she said. Said that with it being the Feast of the Trumpets, that they believe that all those who believe these things, that the rapture will happen next year. That they believe the rapture will happen now. The rapture will happen next year. The going away of the church. And we were talking about that. A Mennonite with a message believer. We were talking about that. That, that they believe the rapture will happen next year. And then they believe that from that date, 2023, the reason they get that is they said it because they believe that 2030 in Hebrew calendar, that that's actually the feast of the 50th year of the Jubilee year. And they believe that that's when the tribulation will be the end of the tribulation. They said there's a seven-year tribulation, so 20, you know, back up seven years from there, puts you at 2023. And that's the reason why they say those things. The Bible does not teach a seven-year tribulation. Everybody understands that. The Bible does not teach a seven-year tribulation. Who here in their life, what would that be? That would be too awkward. 
I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you used to think that the Bible taught a seven-year tribulation. Well, that's honest. But the Bible doesn't teach that. If you, I don't have time to jump into Daniel. God, goodness. I don't have time to jump into Daniel 70 weeks. But you find it, I think it's in Matthew 23 or Matthew 24. The Lord Jesus is talking about the days of the tribulation. And he makes this statement that if it were not, those days were shortened. If those days were not shortened, then no flesh would be saved. Daniel prophesies in that 70 weeks. And you understand the first week, the 69th week, all those things the way the Bible talks about. But you have a three and a half year tribute, three and a half, those first three and a half years was shortened. When was it shortened? When was that time shortened that you might be saved? This gets really sweet, really very personal. When was those three and a half years instituted to where that you might be saved? That time was shortened, that time was shortened so that you might be saved. Uh, and, and again, I don't have time to jump into Daniel 7 and Daniel 11 talking about when that ancient days come. But it was in the 30 to 33 and a half years of Christ's life in his ministry. When in his ministry, in that three and a half years, that's when time was shortened. So that you might be saved. Now, the bride will never go through the tribulation. The foolish virgin will. The bride will take a rapture. The foolish virgin will not. So there are many foolish virgins. There are many more foolish virgins than there are actual brides. You understand that. There's always a small few. But the, the prophet taught that. But those foolish virgins are still seeds of God. So let me tell you what I mean by the sweetness. In those tribulation times, in those three and a half years, to describe it as hell on earth would be downplaying it. Would be saying it's not so bad. It won't be so bad. No, every horror movie you ever watched, thought about, or heard of will pale in comparison. Pale in comparison. The Bible talks about these locusts that will be the size of mint, the size of a horse, size of a horse. They'll have mouths like lions. They'll have mouths like lions, and they'll have long hair. You've heard this. They'll have long hair, and they will torment. They're meant to torment those that are left. Do you understand that? That's just one of them. That all the different plagues, some of them will be through hallucinations, some of them will be through imagination. I don't care what it is, but I guarantee you, if they're not real, you'll think they're real. That the Bible even says that they will cry out to the rocks to fall on them, to take their life, but they won't die because death won't come for them. So you think about all the zombie movies you ever thought about. These people just won't die. Death isn't there. Death is arrested. You must be tortured. You must be tortured. Now, I understand for the elect, the, 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 the foolish virgin, but those that are not foolish virgin, it will be horribly horrible. I hope that's scary enough. Did I make it scary enough? I can keep going. His mercy, his mercy arrested that time. And he did it in his life. In that three and a half years, from 30 to 33 and a half when he gave his life, he did that to arrest that time to where even the foolish virgin would not be going through seven years of that. That is mercy. That is mercy. That is mercy that you can't even put into words. Not one person in this room, because of the way you were born and things you are done, are not worthy of hell. That's the only thing you're worthy of is hell. In your own self. So you deserve to go there by your own self. But someone made a way, made a grace, made a, a passageway to where you don't have to go to that. 
that you don't have to live through that, that you can surrender your life right now to him, that you can change, that you can change from the person you were, and all it takes is a surrender. That's all it takes is a surrender. That's all it takes is a surrender. But that's too hard for most human flesh. I will not do what he says. I don't care what he says. But even in such, that a mercy, when the Bible says in Hebrews that he's a God rich in mercy, that he would move that time that was originally allotted for there to his time of his life. Now, if you think about, if you were to imagine uh, a full out seven years of tribulation, if the three and a half that's been prophesied is this bad, that the other three and a half would be pretty bad. Wouldn't you think? That three and a half of one was bad. So where did, the, the, where did all that other torment, where did all that pressure, where did all that struggle go? It went on him. See, it's easy to say he bore the sins of the world, he bore the weight of the sin, but when you start thinking about, when you start thinking about what all he bore, the chastisement of our peace, bruised for our iniquities, all of these things were piled upon him that, that it wasn't just a man walking around with his own problems. He was walking around with yours. He was walking around with whatever you're struggling with, whatever sickness, whatever you have, brother. He was walking around with that. Can you, can you believe that this morning? Can you believe that all those years ago, everything you've ever struggled with from your birth to the time you leave this world, that he walked around carrying it? Can you believe that? Really, really believe that? Then why would you carry it? If you truly believe that he did, it is something as simply to say, Lord, you bore that for me. You carried that for me. The same thing with healing. You can say, Lord, I believe with all of my heart, you let them stripe you for me. You should walk away whole. Is it that easy? It's that easy. Lord, I believe you did that for me. I believe that you were so kind. And I've said a lot about how he waters not just the wheat, not just the seed of God. He waters the weeds every day, every time it rains. He waters the weeds. And I told you many times, that's a, that's a kind of God that I never thought about that much growing up. I thought he only do something good for his bride, for his people. But when the Bible says that he would that none would be lost, this is true. He would that none would be lost. So what would it do to him to know that there are many that will follow Satan? You know it makes him proud. What would it do to him know that one of his sons or daughters could have done something about it to keep from someone going that way? This makes it back in your seat now. You're in the wheelbarrow now. What would it do to him to know that you could have witnessed, you could have testified, you could have shared the life of Christ with someone else, they would have repented, they would have given their heart to God and not went to hell? And again, it's so easy to quantify that. Well, you know, I can't change election. I can't do this. I can't do this. No, but you're meant to be a, a willing testimony, a willing sacrifice to him. Do you believe that? That's what you're meant to be. Do you understand the power of God this morning? about this resurrection of life. I want to read this to you out of the message, Looking at the Unseen, 1959, April 10th. I love this scripture. I love this, this sermon. It, it means a lot to me. <clears throat> this is paragraph 7, I think. Paragraph 7, yes. He said, when God made man, he made him thus. For he made this little certain compartment in the man for his own throne. In you. He made it for his own throne. That's where he's meant to live. And you're meant to let him in there. You're meant to let him in there. God 
wants to lead man, but man wants to lead himself. Therefore, there is a war constantly. There's a war constantly. The man wants to go after what he sees with his eyes. That's where he's deceived. I'm going to stop right there a minute. We've covered a lot about the temporary versus the eternal. How that the things that you can't see, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, are not even real. The things that you see with these eyes are not even real. The things that you feel with your hands are not even real. The floor that you feel under your feet is not even real. Only thing that is real is His Word and what His Word says. So my entire motive and objective in this series is to get our thinking, our understanding slid over from just what we touch, taste, see, smell, and feel that we would be able to move over to what His Word says. Because at some point, this Word will change your body in a rapture and you're going to be doing something that's been told to you can't do. You will travel as a thought. Can't be done, but you'll do it. You will probably be able to fly. Can't be done, but you'll do it. You'll be able to move like that before you leave this earth. And no telling what all else will do. He said it will not be a private, it's a private show now, but in that time it won't be. It'll be to the bride and to the eternal lost. You understand why it's for the bride. You understand why the third pull is for the bride. It's that vindication to you to show you that you serve the Elohim, the creator of heavens and earth. Well, you know what? We need some food. Uh, we don't have any food on our table. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that give us this day our daily bread, and you open your eyes. There's your food. Wait a minute. Prove what he does. You needed it. You had a need. You had a need for whatever it might be, and this is the physical tangible, and this is for your daily needs that he promised he would meet your needs. But it's not just to be for the physical. It's supposed to be for the spiritual as well, to reach out those that you're praying for, that you love for, that you're meant to be a love of Christ for, that you'll spread that cloak and that robe out upon them so that they won't have to go lost. Therefore, there is a world constantly. The man wants to go after what he sees. That's where he's deceived. In the things that you see, that's where you get deceived. That's where Satan deceived Eve, by what she could see. The fruit was pleasant to the eye, but it was death to the soul. You think Satan's different from then than he is now? The enemy, the, the one that buffets you constantly, that's constantly coming against you, do you think he's any different to you than he is to Eve? Any different? Come at you the same way. What do you think? What do you see? What do you think? What do you see? It's not real. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what he said. This seems strange to you this morning. He said it was death to the soul. So is it tonight. God wants to lead man, so he made himself a little control tower in the midst of his heart so that man would be led by the Spirit of God. Getting off on his own leading is what separated him from his fellowship. Getting off onto the man, the person, the man, his own leading is what separated him from his fellowship. Do you believe the same thing will happen right now? You get off on your own leading, on your own way, on contrary, different from what God has set up, then you separate your fellowship with God. Who here wants fellowship with God? I hope everybody raised your hands. He said, look at what he could see with his eye. That's where he stands yet tonight. All those who are led by such things. But the scripture says, 
sons and daughters are led by the Spirit of God. Your emotions is your control. You can notice a man or a woman that tries to walk after the things of the world. They can never please God. Walking after the things of the world, you will never please God. Think about that. But a man or a woman that will not look at the things of the world, but just go according to the leading of the Spirit, they're usually in the will of God. That's a safe statement. If you're being led, Romans 8, 14, for those that, are, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I messed that up. Romans 8, 14. You're led by Him. Led by Him. But you have to let Him lead. I've told my boys a lot in years growing up that the type of men that they'll be, that they will be leaders. It's just natural. They'll be leaders. To be a good man, you'll be a good leader. But you cannot be a good leader. Listen to me this morning. You cannot, you will not be a good leader if you cannot follow. You cannot. It's impossible. You must be able to follow. You must be able to understand leadership, headship. You must be able to understand that. So what was so valuable then about that Roman centurion that come to Lord Jesus and it says, I have a servant in my house that's dying. He has this need. And Jesus said, I'll come pray for him. He said, that's not what I'm asking. No, no, no. No, you misunderstand. You misunderstand. That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying you're a man of headship. You're a leader. I can see you have authority. I can see you have authority. He said, and I, in my own little part of my world, in my own little part of my life, I have this authority. And in this small part of my life, if I tell a man to go, that man goes. If I tell a man to come, that man comes. If I tell this, 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 this will happen in my own little small version of authority. And I'm talking to you, the one who has all authority. All I'm asking is that you would bid him to be well. Jesus steps back and said, I have not found faith like this. No, not in all Israel. He could fall under that authority. That man who was a leader of many would fall under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would self, he would surrender. He submit. He said, sir, you misunderstand. He said, I know you are God. I know you are the authority. I know that if you say this, my servant be well. Jesus steps back and marvels. <coughs> They're usually in the will of God. This is the great fight tonight. Satan took the eye. Satan took the eye in the great battle a man's head, to control him by his head. God took his heart. Man's always trying to achieve something by his head. He's supposed to achieve. Uh-oh. He's supposed to achieve, but by his heart. Man is always trying to achieve something by his head, and he's supposed to achieve, but by his heart. Well, God don't want me to do this, and God don't want me to do this, and it's always such a just such a stress, and a, and I have all these don'ts and all these things I can't do, and all these things, and I want to do this and want to do this. Let Him change your want to, let Him change that desire. There are things that that aren't sin that you can't do, but there are things that aren't sin that you can do, and it is a balance. It truly is a balance, and the the one that would make that that would tell you where that balance is, the one that should be leading you. Because we'll jump in our own self and think, well, I must do this, I must do this, I must do this. And you'll find in its end is always death. Always, always, always death. Anytime it's not death, nope, always death. But when he leads you, it's always life. He's supposed to achieve it by his heart. That's the control tower where God controls him. Directs his thoughts, directs his walks, directs his emotions. 
Listen to this. Sometimes I get so happy, I just have to let loose. I just get so happy. There are many times you'll find on tape, Brother Brown says, I'm so happy, I wish I could speak in tongues right now. And he says, I just don't have that gift. He said, I got my eyes. He said, and if I look around and see somebody then, I got my eyes on people then. But he was supposed to get so happy and just let it loose. But he said, if I look around and see somebody, then I got my eyes on people then. God, help me to keep my eyes closed. Help me. Do you have that prayer this morning? God, help me to keep my eyes closed and only look at him. He said, I want to just be led by the Spirit of God that the flesh will have nothing to do into it. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody else feel that way? Skipping down that same message. He said, how do you know it's the truth, said the devil. How do you know it's the truth? Again, he says, I want to be led by the Spirit of God with my eyes closed, walking in his way, doing his will, being led only by him. And now here comes that negative part. You have that buffeter, that liar, that con man that comes against you and asks you such a question. How do you know it's true? How do you know it's true? Said the devil. I know it's the truth. It's God's word. It's the truth. Something begins to pulsate in your bosom that it's the truth. He said, then make ready. You're coming out of there. Just as certain as I stand in this pulpit tonight. Don't look at what you see, how bad I'm crippled, how sick I am, what the doctor said. Don't look at that. Look at the unseen. What God said, before you feel any different, before the pain leaves, before the hand moves, before the eye can see one sight, yet make ready, for it's going to come. It's going to come as long as that pulsation begins to rise in your bosom, in your heart, where God sets on the control tower. He said, now I get religious. Now I get religious about this time. And I think, he said, and I think that the Holy Spirit can lead man and tell him things, make him act different, make him believe things and receive things that the world could never believe could happen. I'll read that to you again. I believe that the Holy Spirit can lead man and tell him things, make him act different, make him believe things and receive things that the world could never believe could happen. Contrary to anything you've ever been told, thought, or imagined, God would lead you up into a realm like that. You realize that's what you're built for? You realize that's what you're built for? That's why you were designed, that's why you were created to live in that realm? Yet you had to start in the testing ground, the proving ground. You had to start as the eagle in the chicken ground, in the chicken yard. You had to start right there because you can't appreciate something until you've had something worse. You can't appreciate it. Well, if you'd have never, uh, say, for example, you'd only been in churches. Say, for example, in this natural, if you'd only ever been in churches, and I've heard of this before, that the preacher slapped the people. Pull you up front, smack you right in the face. And yet you left that church and come here and I didn't smack you. You might appreciate this church. If you went to a church that the pastor just you just cussed you out or walked up down the aisle with a knife. I know churches like that. Walk up and down the aisle with a knife threatening people. This is natural. This is the far negative side of this, but it happens. You can't appreciate someone that doesn't do that unless you've seen it. In its evilness, in the, in the, the perversion of that. But what if God will put you in a realm to where it doesn't matter anything that you can see, but you would only take his word, and then guess what? It takes a hold and starts changing you. 
to where you're no longer, is this awkward? Is this un- out of the ordinary? Is this not usual anymore? No, your entire definition of usual, your entire definition of ordinary, your entire definition of a normal Sunday or Wednesday service changes when you realize that I'm not in this room anymore. Something has changed in these walls. I must not even be in Bentley, Kansas anymore. Something's lifted higher. Something's lifted higher. Where does revelation come from? I know many teachers would say that what I'm saying is way too simple. Very lowly, very Pentecostal, very in those thoughts. But where does revelation come from? Revelation does not come in this realm. It don't come from here. Revelation comes from him. The Holy Ghost, he gives revelation. So if you've ever had a revelation this morning, anybody, raise your hand. Ever had God reveal something, even the smallest, tiniest thing to you, you know where that come from? come from here so say for example say you've been sent away to some far off land let's find uh, think of the is there a seventh world country is there just the worst place possibly could imagine to live from and you were there and guess where you live and all of a sudden someone sends you a package from the best country there's ever been and you get that package and you open it up and say, for example, you're laying there and you're, it's just, you know, just the worst thing imaginable. And you start reading, wait a minute, there's a place different than this place. There's a place where you sound like you don't hurt anymore, that, that I don't sorrow anymore, that I can lay my head on my pillow at night and have peace, that I can love it better and higher and greater than anything I ever imagined. And it won't just be a love that I'll love you until you cross me. I'll love you until you disagree with me, but I'll love you no matter what that something could change, and that also in that very thing you got from there was travel tickets from there to there. What would that do to your world? What would that do to your world? What do you think the Holy Ghost is? Again, back to the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. How does a man go back up into his mother's womb and be born again? How does a man that's born in this world get into that kingdom? How does anything going on in this muck and mire and sin of this world get into that kingdom? He said, I'm standing right here. I'm right here. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So you don't just, you can't say, well, I just want the way. You have to take the truth and the life as well. You can't say, I just want Jesus to be the way. I only need him for fire insurance. I only need him for get out of hell free card. I only want him so I don't have to go to hell. Mm -mm. You must surrender all that you are. All that you are. You must surrender all that you are. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That truth, which brings faith, will lead you to the right life. It will lead you the right way, and you'll end up where you're supposed to go. Right where you're supposed to go. He said, don't look at what you see, how bad I'm crippled, how sick I am, what the doctor said. Don't look at that and look at the unseen, what God said. Before you feel any different, before the pain leaves, before the hand moves, before the eye can see one sight, yet make ready, for it's going to come. As long as that pulsation begins to rise in your bosom, in your heart, where God sets on the control tower. Does God set on your control tower this morning? Does he, is he really? Have you opened the door of your heart and the Lord Jesus has taken his place on your control tower? Can you be honest with yourself right now and say that he is? Can you be honest and say that he is? So if that answer honestly is yes, anything's possible. Anything is possible. 
oh, it's such a far-fetched uh, science fiction or imagination that a man could speak to a mountain and move it from there way over there. No, it can't be done. Cannot be done. Can't be done. He said, with God, all things are possible. Holy Ghost is Elohim living in your heart. I just told you about that control tower where God sits on the control tower of your heart. He said, and I think yeah, the Holy Spirit can lead a man, tell him things, make him act different, make him believe things and receive things that the world could never believe could happen. He said, I'm a witness. He said, I was a blind man once myself. Practically had to be led. Had to be led. So I know, I know now what I'm talking about. You understand if you've read his life story, what he means. He did go blind. His stomach was so bad that he couldn't eat. He dropped a hundred and something pounds. He was, the doctor told him, if you take one meal, if you take anything to what it was prescribed, he said, you will die. If you were to take a bite of beans, he said, you will die. If you take a bite of whatever it is, you will die. So when he finally got a revelation, the doctor had thoroughly convinced him, you do this, you're dead. You put that food in your mouth, you're dead man. If your doctor told you today that if you go home and eat one real meal, you're a dead man, and you believed him, he said, I'm looking at a promise, not at your prescription. I understand you're well-meaning. You're looking at the symptoms, and you're trying to diagnose in this realm. But this promise right here did not come from this realm. It didn't come from this dimension. It says, by his stripes I'm healed, and I will believe that, and it will change everything. Everything will change everything. He said, so I know that what I'm talking about, that it's the Holy Spirit. He said, oh, can't you feel that pulsation of the Spirit begin to rise in your heart, saying, Jesus Christ is in our midst. Can you feel that this morning? He said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be in their midst. So I'll ask you right now, can you feel that pulsation? Can you feel him moving right now amongst you? Can you honestly tell me you can sit right in the presence of Elohim and feel nothing? That you can feel, see him moving upon your brother and sister and feel nothing? You can be just as unaffected and un, un, unfazed as, as anyone else if you're sitting at home in your, in your bedroom. or your, But you're not sitting there. You're sitting in his presence. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I spend a lot of time on what it means together in this place with all of these licks of fire in one place. It's different than sitting at home fellowshipping. It's different than in your closet praying. It's different. You get this many people together, you bring the past a promise of God. He said, he said, he said, I'll be in your midst. I'll be in your midst. He said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be in their midst. He said, pulsations. Something's moving like a heartbeat, like a heartbeat. It's pumping energy to your spirit. Think about that now, pumping energy into your spirit right now where you sit. You might have walked in here tired. You might have walked in discouraged, distressed, beat down by your trial, but all of a sudden a door opened, and now that, that energy, that presence of God is pouring into your spirit that is sitting in this room. Sitting in this room. He said, it's pumping energy into your spirit. It's pumping energy to your mind. Then let the things that your eyes see black out. Let them black out. Let them black out this morning. Anything that's contrary to his word, let it black out this morning. Let it black out this morning. That you see not the things of the world. You're believing what God said. And we shared this with you earlier when God would be to begin to speak. What it would sound like. How God would move. This is a part of that sermon when the Lord Jesus takes over his voice. 
and he's in that he's in that in the end and he's making his altar call and, and, and people aren't moving no matter what was said. You understand these same this what I've just read to you was preached in that same room. This that I read to you was preached in that same room and at the time when people should be giving their heart to God, they're sitting there. And the Holy Ghost is moving and he's asking them, Can you not feel him pulsating? Can you not feel him pulsating? And they would be like, it's a good service. Why are you so worked up about? What are you so worked up about? And he's like, can you not feel him pulsating to you? He said, keep your hands up. Keep looking at the unseen. That little pulsation in your heart. Come, come, moving right on down. Is he pulsating to you? That's the last question William Branham asked. The Lord Jesus took over. You can hear it on the tape. You can feel it on the tape. I am the Lord that raised up Christ from the grave. I'm the one that sent the Holy Ghost. I'm the one that gave the promise. Brother Branham has nothing to do in this. He surrendered his life to me. I'm using his spirit. I'm talking through his lips. That's me. I'm the Lord. Come down. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. What kind of a God do you serve this morning? What kind of a Lord Jesus have you let into your heart this morning? Is he just something that you, you get out whenever you need him? Is he just something that when you have time to throw his way? Or will you surrender all that you are to him? Every breath, every thought, every heartbeat, every bit of your time to him. Will you let your thinking and the way you feel be changed in the way he says? Let's sing that song, Winds of Faith, again. There are two.
testify once again that you keep your promise, you keep your word, or you bring it to pass. We've seen it, Lord. We've tasted the fruit of it. We accept it. We receive it for our lives, Lord. We understand that it's completely different than we were ever taught to think in our own natural realm in life, Lord, but we're not from here, and you're picking us up into a much higher realm, Lord, where the things of this world so easily pass away, and we can spread up into those heavenly places, Lord. Lord, that's where we want to be with you every day, Lord. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy on our brothers and sisters, Lord. Thank you for being the healer of our body. Thank you for being the, the healer of our soul, Lord, for being our redeemer. And praise you, Lord, with our whole hearts. You are amazing, Lord. We worship you tonight. Be with our brothers and sisters as we go our separate ways. Lord, help them to face their tests and their trials, Lord, and conduct themselves with joy amongst everyone that you and your wisdom sends our way, Lord. We surrender all that we are to you, Lord. It's not our will, it's your will. We love you for being so good to us, and we appreciate your mercy. Help us, Lord. tonight that's five o'clock the service will start at five o'clock but Matt's going to be ministering the service before that before the communion go to G because he